there's a detour in your long commute or the quiet when you become an empty nester. Sometimes change can be hard, especially if you weren't expecting it. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And we'd love if you share this with someone that you know so that they'll feel inspired too. Join us now for a new year message on how to manage change from our Director of Student Ministries, Gerard Marone. Let's kick it off to him right now. I didn't say it earlier. My name is Gerard Marone. I'm the student ministries director here at Tower Hill. So I work with all of our middle school and high school kids. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a logistical layout, if you have been with us all fall, we've been doing a series called The Story, where we've been going through the Bible in 31 weeks chronologically. So we put it in order, or a company put it in order, and, and we go through it step by step. We are taking a one-week pause on that this week. So if you were here to hear that, I understand if you step up and walk out. Like It's, it's okay. I get it. Um, but we will be resuming that. So if you were here to hear me talk about Solomon, I apologize, it's not gonna happen. We're gonna look at something he wrote, but we won't be digging into that. So it's, uh, it's one of those, we'll be back to it next week. We'll have your reg- regularly scheduled programming next week when it comes to the story. So if you um, haven't noticed, we still have the sanctuary decorated for Christmas. Christmas isn't over up here at Tower Hill. And I think there's a, 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 an important part of that. It's too much preparation for one day. If you think about the amount of time that you all took leading up to Christmas and how much work you you spent to find the perfect gift, to then wrap it in the right wrapping paper and put the right bow on it and then watch people try to figure out how to take the bow off the box, uh, which is even more of a spectator sport than anything. But we, we build up and build up and build up Christmas and then after 24 hours, it's just gone. It's like a blink of an eye and it's over. And I think it's important to, to linger in those those moments and linger in that time a little bit. Plus, if I had to guess, many of you are still catching up on sleep. You put together um, what you would consider Fort Knox-level security in your bedroom, and your kids still broke through it at about 5.15 on Christmas morning. So I know some of you are feeling like that. And I think there's others of you that were spending a lot of last week building toys and building bicycles and cutting the 8,000 safety tabs off of the presents to to make sure that it was easy to open. And then you had little plastic shards everywhere and you probably were looking at it going, how come there's no words with the directions when I'm trying to build this stupid playhouse? And and you're just, you're just recovering. And, and it's crazy the things we do for our kids. Uh, all kidding aside though, I think it's important to linger on Christmas for a couple reasons. I think one is there's just so much emotion wrapped up in it. Right? We, we feel exhausted from doing all the work and, and hosting all of these different things at our house and making sure we have the right dishes and all of that. But at the same time, there's just so much joy. And it might be the one time a year where everybody in the family is together. It might be that one time a year where you see just that magical glow when they open the perfect gift. I always loved coming back every year from college and then even after my wife and I got married to the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 10 o'clock because it was great to see all of our friends who we grew up together and we've all moved to different parts of the country and yet we all come back here on Christmas Eve for that service. So it was, there's, there's just that kind of magic that we want to hold on to. And I think the other thing that's important is uh, we see just a collective softening at Christmas time. Even those really tough, like, 
that, that real hard person that you work with or your friend at work, um, all of a sudden they have that really embarrassing Christmas card that they send you and it shows up on your front doorstep where they're matching and wearing this ridiculous Christmas sweater with all of their families and you're going, didn't ever picture he wearing that or she wearing that. And so there's this, this kind of ability to melt even the toughest, hardest heart during the Christmas season. So I only have one day of it. We, we should spend more time in it. And I think the other, the other piece that comes with Christmas that we all experience and we've kind of alluded to today with, with the space between the new year is there's a natural finality to Christmas. We have, um, we have that unwritten marker of the end of one year and the beginning of another. Even though January 1st is only a week away, we still take this time to reflect, to look back on that year, to prep mentally for the next year. We use Christmas as that marker of like, this is the, the winding down time. And that really brings the topic into focus of what I want to look at today, and that's the idea of change. I know change coming from someone up here can feel a little squirmy. It's almost like talking about politics or talking about money up here. We just, we don't like talking about change. It doesn't feel right. We don't, we don't love the, the conversation about it. But I think it's important for us to dig into it for a couple minutes, because if we think about it, take a second to think about this, how does your life change on Christmas morning? What changes when Christmas morning hits? It, for me, is totally different every year, right? For some of you, you just got the Fisher-Price kitchen that takes up half of your living room. And some of you got the Hot Wheels or the Power Wheels Barbie Jeep that now is occupying your spot in the garage and your car is in the driveway. You know, there's, there's these changes that are pretty final. We, we have a big shift in the way that things go as we move through Christmas. I think back to when I was a kid and there was the year that my sister and brother and I all got Game Boys for Christmas. And road trips were never the same after that. We, we stopped playing I Spy. We stopped looking for all the license plates and, and trying to find one of each of the states. My parents didn't have to go to the library to take out those 8,000 things to do with your kid on a road trip books. But at the same time, we didn't interact. We were just down looking at our games. And it was you know, it was fun. I loved it then, but there was a big change. It was never the same after that time. And I think the one thing we overlook when we look at change in the Christmas story is what happened to Mary and Joseph on that night, the change that they experienced. So we hear the story of the birth in a manger, and we see this beautiful picture, and we sing Silent Night, and we talk about how all is calm and all is bright. And any of you in here that have had a child know that when you have a newborn, there is nothing calm and nothing bright about that going on. Your life becomes this. You just have no idea what way is up, what way is down. It's, it just gets crazy really, really, really fast. Your life is changed forever, and it's an amazing change, but it's certainly a change. And to top it all off, we read throughout the story that Mary and Joseph had visitors almost nonstop after the birth of their baby. First the shepherds, then the wise men, and so on and so forth. There was never a break for them. Having our daughter five days before Christmas, she was born on December 20th, we felt that. I understand what it feels like to have a newborn and be getting home and having to figure this whole life out and then having people in your house. And it was great. We loved having everybody there. Everybody means well when they're helping and trying to do things, but it's overwhelming. It can be a lot. There's so much change that comes around this. And with that parallel of change in parenthood, I think it brings up an interesting thing when we talk about change in general. When we have our kids, when, when we're little, change is everything we're hoping for. 
but at some point it shifts away from that. If we think about it, when we, we look at our, our children, we, we're hoping for change all the time. When are they going to roll over? When are they going to crawl? When are they going to walk? When are they going to start talking? When are they going to be potty trained? Like, we have apps to track all of this, and we constantly compare where our child is versus everybody else. And we're always looking at that, but we're constantly looking for change. We hope for it. It's a good thing. When our baby starts walking, we're cheering and going nuts, and it's awesome. And then at some point, it shifts. And as adults, we don't like change so much, right? We, we shift away from that, and we desire stability over change when we get older. We prefer fixed-rate mortgages to variable-rate ones. We would much rather prefer taking our electric bill and our gas bill and paying it equally over 12 months than getting that electric bill in August and seeing that we made the house way too cool in July. We don't like having those surprises. We like stability. We're, we're very, very into stability. We are also wired that way. We joke up here whenever, um, whenever Pastor Jason preaches, he jokes often about how everybody has their spot in the sanctuary. Like, this is my pew, this is where I sit, and if somebody's in my pew, everything's a little off. I don't know what to do if someone's in my pew. But we're wired that way. Our brains are wired because that's one less decision we have to make. We prefer the stability there because we don't have to think about where we're going to sit. I'm going to sit in the fourth pew on the left, three seats in, like, that's just where we sit. It, the same thing happens in my classroom. If I assign seats the first day of school, and then I just remove that mandate, and they can sit wherever they want, about 80% of them stay exactly where I sat them on that first day because it's one less decision for them to make. They just like stability. So why have we become so averse to change? Why are we so afraid of this? Why is it a swear word for so many of us? If you think about it, we work so hard to park in the same parking space every day, to eat at the same restaurants, to follow the 80-20 rule where we wear 80% or 20% of our clothes 80% of the time. Like, we have all of these other outfits, and we never go to them. We go to the same five shirts. Um, I think one of the main reasons is fear. We fear in two different ways. We fear that the new way might fail, that when we make a change and it doesn't work, we have to deal with the failure. We have to sit in that and, and accept the fact that it didn't work. And on the flip side, I think the bigger fear is that it's going to work. What happens if I make a change and it works? Now I have to change three, four, five other things. Like, it creates more work for us. We like staying in our stable little pockets because we don't have to do a lot of extra work when we, we stick that way. But I, I want to go after the question of what if there's a better way? What if there's a better way to look at change? So we're going to take a look at a passage written by Solomon, who most biblical scholars agree is the wisest person who has ever lived, which is someone that I want to listen to if I'm looking for wisdom. I want to follow the person who was the wisest ever. Um, smart people are great. We're very blessed that we have a lot of very smart people here. Um, but still, I, I love going for wisdom from someone that's wise. So this is in Ecclesiastes 3. It'll be up on the screen for you here. It says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. 
a time for war, and a time for peace. I'm pretty sure that Solomon covers about every human emotion possible in that passage, in that part of our passage. I, don't, I can't think of one he missed. And I love that it reinforces the fact that change in life is all around us. Um, there, are, there are sayings all over the place, the only constant is change. And, and that's reinforced here, that the change is all around us. We, we can't avoid it. And that there's a time for everything under the heavens. And I love how he ends the passage after he hits all of those emotions. He says, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has also made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's so much to unpack here, uh, and it can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways, but I want to look through it when we talk about change. And I think three things come up when I look at this through the lens of change. The first one that pops out to me, especially in that first part of the passage, is that seasons of change aren't final. The one thing that I take most from this is that it's not final. Some of you might be in a season of your life where you're hitting every one of the negative emotions that Solomon hits. You might be in a season of hurt, of despair, of quitting, of hate, of silence, of weeping. It might feel like that's going to be a never-ending season. It generally is that feeling when we are in those ruts, that it feels like it's never going to go away, that we're going to be in there forever. The best thing that, that he says here, he, Solomon highlights four words when he looks at this. He says, there is a time. And he says it over and over and over again throughout that passage. There is a time. There's a time where it's not going to feel bad anymore. There's a time where if you're mourning a loss, you're going to look more towards the amazing memories you have with that person or with that thing rather than the negative emotions you're feeling currently. There will be a time when you're going to be celebrating milestones again, when you're going to be having great things happening in your lives. There's a time for cheering and laughter and happiness in your future if you're in one of those negative times. It should be such an encouragement that the wisest person who's ever lived highlighted the fact that there is an end date to that season. And on the contrary, those of you that are in a great season right now, you're going, yeah, this is great, this is awesome, I don't want to go back to that. Um, it reminds us it's an encouragement to enjoy those times. I always um, think of I, those that are in the room that know me know that I'm completely and utterly obsessed with The Office. And in the very last episode of the show, Andy Bernard, one of the worst characters in the show, in my opinion, we can talk later about that, um, he, he says, he talks about the good times and the good old days, and he said, I always wished I knew that I was in the good old days. And so stay in those good seasons. Enjoy it while it's happening. And if you're turning into a negative season, then know that that's okay. It's going to come back out. It's all going to work out in the end. The second thing, uh, as you guys see up there, is that God's change timing is perfect. In the second half of the passage, Solomon points out that those of us that are control freaks in the room, we don't like to hear this part. These are the parts that we skip over, myself included. I don't like hearing it. It says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. It doesn't say he made everything beautiful in Gerard's time. He doesn't let us make that decision for us. He doesn't say that everything's going to be beautiful on our own schedule. And oftentimes, we don't get to dictate terms as much as we really want to. But here's the good news, and that's God's timing is perfect all the time. It's not going to be our timing, but his timing that's going to be perfect. In verse 12, he addresses this when he says that no one can fathom what God is doing from beginning to end. In other words, 
we don't see the 5,000 foot view of what's going on in our story. We just see what's right in front of our face. We see a job change. We see a move to another part of the country. We see the first day back in the gym after who knows how long. And we can't see God's fingerprints on our lives before that or after that. We don't, we don't get to see that. It takes hindsight and reflection. It takes a lot of focus to be able to see that. So here on staff, we spend a lot of time talking about what we call God sightings. We open every meeting when we meet as a staff with them. Um, our our next-gen team, we open with them as well. And those are times where we feel we're actually seeing God, God working in our lives in that moment, where we can, can see it without needing hindsight, where we can, can see it coming. And to give you a couple of examples, in the last six months, all of my God sightings have surrounded the change going on in our family. So this past summer, my wife Claire got a call out of the blue from a coworker she, she used to work with before she came home to be with our daughter. And they said, hey, we have this job opportunity. I think it's perfect for you. I think it would fit you great. We'd love if you'd come in and interview for the position. Claire did. She went in and interviewed. And in that process of preparing for the interview, we both went, oh my gosh, we need to find childcare. We've had nobody, we've had Claire home watching Cora full time. We need to find a daycare. And we started scrambling, we started calling to set up interviews. And those of you that know my daughter, she runs around here like this is her second home. Um, She's not really great with change. She took a year to stay in the nursery. She's been in the nursery many times. She's in this building all the time, but it still took her a year to just stay in there where we could come to a church service without us getting called out. She's not great with change. So we went into her school and met with the director, and Cora played on her own in the school for like an hour and a half without ever needing us, just off on her own. And the whole time, we're meeting with the director and saying, we swear this is not how she normally is. Like, I know you think we're crazy overbearing parents, but she's literally never done this ever in the history of her life. And, and it was just so comfortable for her, and it was so perfect. Claire didn't end up getting the job. They went in a different direction. But it was a sign to us that we needed to make sure Cora was in school, that it was time for her to go in there. And we would never have explored that option unless that opportunity presented itself to us. To me, that's a God sighting. And then, as time has passed, Cora decided she was going to school Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9 to 1. She'd come home while everybody else napped. Out of the blue, she starts telling us that all of her friends got these really cool nap mats at school, and they get to nap. So I, mommy and daddy, want to stay at school so I can nap with my friends. And at the same exact time, within a week of her asking that, my wife's old boss from her company uh, that she left when she came home to have our daughter called her out of the blue and said, hey, I know this is a complete long shot. We need you. And we need you for as many hours or as little hours as you can give us. We just need you back. And within a week of Cora wanting to stay later, which would have cost us a lot more money and would have been hard for us to do, Claire had a job opportunity. So now Cora's in school three days a week. Claire's working three days a week. And it's To me, the timing isn't coincidence. That's God working in our lives. That's God telling us, hey, this is what you need as a family. This is what needs to happen. That, to me, is a God sighting. With all of that being said, this was never an expectation for us. Like We weren't ready for those changes, and and that tends to be how it works. Change happens when we least expect it, and to be honest with you, at the most inopportune times. We were, re- we were interviewing schools and going through all of this the week before I went back to school. So I had eight weeks off in the summer, and this could have happened in July when we had plenty of time to gear up for it, but we had like four days to make this all work. And, and it just, it, the timing wasn't great, but it was God's timing, and it was perfect, and it was exactly what we needed. If you're in a massive transition period in your life, 
take heart that I believe there's a plan in place for you. There is. There's a reason why things are happening. God has a vision for your life, and if you've really wanted that job and it's just not coming, it maybe means that you're just not ready for it yet, and God has bigger things in play before that opportunity comes. I don't know what that means for you, but I think that we each have a specific plan that we're in motion for. Our final one that I, that I pulled from this passage that I think is super important in light of the first two is that we need to embrace change. Knowing that the seasons of our lives aren't final, that we're gonna have those up and downs that we, we saw in the passage, and that knowing that and, and believing that God's timing is perfect here for us, I think it's really important for us to, to kind of lean into it, to embrace change, if for no other reason than that it's coming whether we like it or not. We can't stop the train. It's not gonna slow down because we don't feel ready. And I think that the important part and the reason why we should embrace it is in the second part of verse 11. God says that he has set eternity on the human heart. We're eternally focused beings. We're wired to think big picture, even when we sometimes can't see the obvious things right in front of our face. We're wired to look forward. And if we embrace the idea that these changes are happening because of the plan that's, in, that's set in motion for our lives, I think it brings us closer to that eternal. It brings us closer to God if we're on the same page, if we're rowing in the same direction and not pulling against it. Rather than fighting and questioning like a toddler does in the why phase, where every, every statement has why coming right after it. Instead of doing that when change happens in our lives, why don't we lean into it and see where it takes us? I think that it's, if we walk alongside our creator as these changes are coming, that I think it's gonna be a really, really fun adventure, and I think you're gonna see a lot more benefit from it than if you were just pushing against that change. I know Pastor Jason talks frequently about how he's not preaching to the choir, how he's not talking about this stuff for you to hear and not for him, and this is the same situation for me. The last seven or eight weeks have been insane in our lives. I remember Halloween, I remember trick-or-treating with, with Cora and with Claire, and then I blink and I remember right now. Like the last eight weeks have just been a blur of change and craziness and all that kind of stuff. So this is me talking to me as well as it is talking to you. Friends, my encouragement to you today is to lean into change. Be encouraged that, that even though we might not like it, that we think it's a little squirmy, we're not really into it, that there's a bigger story at play. That there is something happening in your life right now that God intended to happen. There's a reason for it in this moment when change happens. God is at work in a major way in your life, and someday you're gonna understand it. You'll be able to look back and go, yep, that was God working there. That was the moment that I needed the little push that I wasn't gonna take myself. In the meantime, embrace, embrace change, trust that it's only a season, and trust in the idea that God's timing is perfect. Amen. Amen.